This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. This is part two of my look back at the first 100 episodes of 12 Songs, or maybe the first 99. On my host's homepage, the episode with Meryl Zimmerman appeared as number 100. But when the last episode, part one, came out, the bots that are associated with my host sent me an email congratulating me for finally getting to number 100. Whatever. I'm using the occasion to help those of you who weren't here at the start catch up on some of the conversations I've had over the course of the last few years and hopefully give you a reason to go back and check them out. For the most part, this has been a less painful process than I feared it would be. I worried that the audio would be humbling, and there are a few episodes I'm not revisiting because the sound is just too ratty. I laughed when I heard street noise behind one interview, but for the most part, they remain effective. I'd love to know why I thought introducing the shows as if I was an overnight DJ was a good idea. That low-energy vibe also makes me laugh, but you'll have to listen to back episodes to hear what I mean. I haven't included any of that in our looks back. I wonder if I was reacting to the twinkly public domain music I was using as an introduction at the time. Once I had the AF the naysayer intro, I picked up my energy, perhaps to balance his mid-tempo groove. Anyway, today we're going to visit year two of the show. Again, with more of a focus on almost everything but Christmas, because for me, the holiday is just the starting place for these conversations, which eventually drift into discussions of business, creativity, music, and culture. For me, one of the most end-to-end interesting episodes was my conversation with Scott McCoy of The Minus Five. McCoy is a rock and roll lifer, starting in the 80s with young, fresh fellows. In 1994, he became part of R.E.M.'s touring band, and he recorded with a revolving cast under the name The Minus Five. He added the baseball project to his portfolio, playing baseball-themed songs with R.E.M.'s Peter Buck and the Dream Syndicate's Steve Wynn and Linda Pittman. In 2017, he released his Christmas album, Dear December. But before he got a chance to perform any of the songs from the album, he suffered a stroke that certainly sidelined him for the rest of that year and into 2018. I talked to McCoy about learning to play again and his relationship to the songs from that album. Hey, Bob, Betty, Jim, come on over to the piano. Do I remember right now that you had you had the stroke in November 2017? How close was that to the release of uh, of Dear of Dear December? It was a week before the day it came out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. So so I, I kind of I kind of missed the whole release 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 date and and everything. I mean it just it I. I wasn't there for it. <laughs> I was wondering how not being there to play those songs affects your relationship to that record. Well, it, it, I mean, it, it did cause it kind of wiped it out for me, but, but then a year later, you know, this last year, I felt like, well, now I can do 
I can do a, a release show, you know, like I can, <laughs> I can try, try to play these shows like a year later. Yeah. And, and I did, we did a little show in, uh, in Portland with, uh, um, we played, we played the entire record, I think, and, and a bunch of other Christmas songs. So we did a little Christmas show that was really, really fun. It was pretty ragtag and thrown together, but it was, it was great. And, you know, I had to, I had to use cheat sheets for the the words because I couldn't remember them at all. You know, I never I never played any of them live before at all. So um, it was, but it, but it went really well. It went really well. I think we're going to try to do it like a, a yearly thing now. You know, because it was it was really fun. It was really fun. And uh, so now I I kind of got the the songs back they to me again. You know, they um, they. They're, they're good songs, and and uh, it was hard for me to to grasp them after the stroke and everything happened. But but now I feel like, yeah, they're they're there, and and I can I can reclaim them, <laughs> as it were. What do you mean by hard to grasp? Well, because I couldn't after the stroke, I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember any any words of of any songs ever. Wow! <laughs> like I was. I was wiped. I was wiped out. You know, wiped clean. So, um, and gradually, and through just trying to drill words into my songs and doing therapy, they started. Words started coming back to me a little bit. I mean, I still, still really, really struggle with it, but, but, I've gotten better as I've gone along. So, so now I can you know, kind of, I mean, I, I couldn't really remember. I, I couldn't like tell you what the words of the song are, but I can, I think, I think I'll get better and better. So I think like next year, maybe I'll be able to do, um, uh, maybe I'll be able to sing them without reading them off of a, of a, a music stand. Right. It's possible. Cause I mean, I've, I've played a lot of, so, a lot of shows since then. And some shows I've gotten by without, without, um, you know, cheat sheets sure. um um but it's really hard but you know i i started like in last april i started to play shows i started doing these little therapy sessions these six to eight o'clock like happy hour kind of shows where i would play beatles songs neil young songs and minus five songs the ones i could remember um and so those were kind of the ones that i figured would be the most in my dna that i might be able to recall them and they they gradually started coming to me, coming back to me. So, you know, it's still it's still a work in progress, but um I feel like it's 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 getting better. And so, you know, I'm hoping maybe next year on Christmas maybe I'll be able to sing these songs without uh, having to read them. <laughs> does that does that affect the way you sing when you have to read them too? Well, I mean, it's it's hard because I mean it's not only just just it's not only just comp, uh, comprehension and remembering the words. It's like it's like even when I'm thinking them, they come out garbled in my mouth sometimes. <laughs> it's it's really it's really it's really weird. It's hard to explain. But um, you know, even if I what I think I'm singing sometimes doesn't come out like I like I I mean it to. Sure. Like, so I think people who are used to 
hearing me in the shows around town recently are probably overlooking the fact that I'm singing some really weird things here and there, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but, you know, I think the, the Christmas show was really, really fun and nobody cared that I was, I was cheating, you know, I mean, it was, it was fine. Um, and it was, it was really fun to play those, play those songs. It was really joyous uh, occasion and it was, you know, it was a year late, but (laughs) it happened (laughs) at least. Uh, I'll tell you why I asked that question is I was wondering if, you know, just that minor lag between your eye and the processing and getting it back out, if that affects sort of subtly your, you know, sort of your timing of your phrasing when you're singing a song. Well, it it probably does. It probably does a little bit. Everything's affected a little bit, you know. Um, it, it It is for sure. But on the, on the bright side, um, my voice is good. You know, it's it it's it's it, it it works well. So it's just getting it to come out. But um, um, but you know, yeah, it's 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 a weird one. It's hard to explain. It's like it's like I'm 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 thinking of of the words and. They, but you know that part of my brain is is dead. You know, right. I mean, it's you don't you don't get it back. You know, so, um, so but but the brain is so amazing; it figures out ways to get around the the, the dead part and somehow get back to the stuff that was there beforehand. But so it it feels really weird because it comes from a different place when I'm when I'm trying to remember words. Um, it's it's not automatic like it was before. It's like it's like there's a delay, like they they're trying to make it make their way back to me. Um, it's really it's really fascinating. It's really weird. It's kind of hard to explain, but um, but it's it's a strange feeling. I was going to say that it has to be it has to be bizarre to have all these songs that you wrote and have no access to them. To have the yeah. that <laughs> I made that and I it don't is. know what I made. It is. But it's funny because the ones that have come back to me the best are there, there's the, the ones that were like I was singing like in the minus five on that tour when I had the stroke. Those those have a pretty good chance of coming back because I was singing them a lot. But then the ones that, that really come back out of nowhere are the, the oldest songs that I just sang so many times, like the early Young Fresh Fellow songs wow. that I've been singing for 30 years, you know. Those, those will occasionally will pop back in a whole song will pop back, you know, and, and, and the same with like Beatles and Neil Young songs, you know, those are just ones that are so much a part of me that they, I suddenly will, will come back to me, you know, and that being said, they can go away again really quickly, (laughs) but, but, but sometimes, but sometimes they really, um, they really come back and that's, that's amazing. And, and, but yeah, some, it's some of the ones that are, that have been around for the longest time. They're the ones that I can remember the best, not necessarily the ones that are are new or fresh or whatever. That has to actually be, I don't know if this is looking for a good side, but there has to be something really interesting about it, about in a way sort of rediscovering music or, you know, rediscovering or sort of rediscovering your own songs even at this point in your it career. It is. It is. It's true. It's true. It really is. Um, it, 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 
it, it's kind of like hearing with new with new ears, you know. I mean, it really was right when I first had the stroke. When I started, I was in the hospital, and and Peter Peter Buck was there, and he he made a a playlist on an iPod of all Beatles, all Beatles, and 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 that was just like it was it was like hearing them with new ears because these songs I heard a billion times, you know. Right. And they were they're they're both bringing me back to things I knew, but also it was like hearing them with, with new with new ears because my brain was just such a different state. So it is it is kind of fascinating in that way. So what did you think of the Christmas record when you were able to get back to it and play it again? I really like it. <laughs> I'm really I'm I'm really I'm really pleased with it, you know? I mean um it my my one um quibbling with it was that maybe I mean I wish I could have put the um the Christmas in Antarctica song on it. Um, because I don't know if you heard that one that I saw, it, but it I haven't listened really, to it yet. Yeah. You know, it was released digitally this year because, because we were holding that for the monkeys album. Okay. The, and, and they, and they were going to record the, they, they wanted me to hold that one for them and Christmas party, which Christmas party, they ended up recording, which was awesome and amazing and the greatest, but uh, they didn't do Christmas in Antarctica, so I would have liked to have put that on the record. I would have just like made it just a little bit better. But you know, but it's uh, it's out there, and um, I think it's a really I think it's a really good record. And I think it, it's it's um, I think I I I walked a fine line on it where I wanted it to be Christmassy, but without being just typical lyrically. You know, like I didn't want it to all be about Santa or Jesus. In fact, I I wanted Santa and Jesus to be barely mentioned <laughs> right. on the record. And I think they I think they might each get one one mention on the entire eleven songs. And um, but but I still feel like the record has a really Christmas feel for it. You know, I think it I think it you know it sounds like a Christmas record when you put it on. Another episode that blew me away was my conversation with Americana artist J.D. McPherson. His 2018 album, Socks, is a modern Christmas classic, paying tribute convincingly to 50s R&B with an obvious understanding of the spirit that made a song like Run Rudolph Run and Clyde McFadder's version of White Christmas great. We talked about the challenge of writing Christmas songs and his way into that problem, which I thought was ingenious. Happiness is automatic, there's music in the air. Grab the boxes from the attic and haul them down the stairs.
my favorite Christmas music was Drifters, um, um, and you know the stuff that Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller wrote for Elvis. They wrote they wrote a lot of Christmas material that they never did write that I know of. Write any Christmas material for their number one vessel, which was the coasters. I mean, the coasters and Lieber and Stoller go together. That's the most perfect artist writer relationship that I can point to. I mean, that band, there's something about the coasters or Robins previously that the voices and everything clicked to where they could sell that kind of sly, humorous, really tight, really great songs all of that, but they never did Christmas material. So I said, well, if I'm going to write this record, I would, I want to imagine if we were Stoller did an album's worth of material for the coasters. And it was in some ways the easiest thing I've ever done. Being able to kind of see that, those parameters, it was, it was just, instead of pulling things out of thin air, I really understood. I really have studied, you know, what the things that led to that relationship and that what could be. And it was just easy for me to think of it that way. I, I can't explain it any other way. It's just, I kind of can see things in, in boxes or I can imagine what something might have been, I guess. Sure. That makes any sense. No, I, I get all of that. That's great. Were there other Christmas songs that that you had or, you know, that you had a passion for growing up or that, that at least stayed with you growing up? Um, I really loved all the animated series when I was a kid. Um, the, the kind of classic ones, um, you know, Burl Lives as a Snowman had a big influence on me. <laughs> I just, there was something about like those, um, animated like claymation specials when I was a kid, they were, they were weird. The, um, the the Rudolph one is really dark. I don't know if anybody's watched that in a while, but that Rudolph special is really dark, and the sound design on that is really strange. There's some really strange sound edits um, on that that kind of click with me in the way that um, I was actually going to say earlier, like watching David Lynch movies in high school by myself in my room that that view of like the fifties was kind of the one that stuck with me. Like when David Lynch presented the fifties to me, that seemed like, I guess that kind of altered my perception of what the 1950s were. Right. It was this kind of Edward Hopper, Hitchcockian, um, Francis through a vent, Francis Bacon lens, like kind of dark, um, undercurrent beneath the kind of, perfect sugary exterior that really appealed to me. So I, I kind of latched onto those things a lot. And I just remember all those, the visuals of all those kind of sixties and fifties animated specials having a big effect on me. Um, but, um, the bells of St. Mary's, uh, done by Clyde McFadder and the drifters is my favorite. Christmas song, uh, even though it's not really a Christmas song, and um, it's played at Christmas, but um, 
that scene in Goodfellas where Joe Pesci shoots uh, Samuel Jackson in the back of the head, that song is playing. Uh, uh, and uh, uh. It, it somehow that, I don't know what it is. It's like this, um, it's this kind of juxtaposition of this beautiful, sentimental song with this dark um, undercurrent that that may have had an effect on the Sox record a little bit. Business of Christmas is one of my fascinations. I dedicated an episode to the all Christmas radio format the station switched to at some point each year. I wrote a story on the phenomenon for the Times Picayune here in New Orleans in 2019, and I'll link to that in the show notes. For one episode, I talked to Steve Souter, program director of Magic 101.9 here in New Orleans. I gather that we're lucky because while many stations that switch to the All's of Christmas format, adopt very narrow playlists with perhaps 250 songs tops, Souter has taken a hand in personally adding songs with some Louisiana flavor to the station's Magic of Christmas programming, making it one of the broader Christmas playlists that I've discovered so far. I plan to do more on this topic this year, but this is me and Steve Souter talking about that local connection. Let's go and get the row and push pull down the pile. I want to see the Christmas tree. That's okay, Dodo. Have a big time and cut a shine where all will be gay. Oh, Santa Claus will come tonight down on the pile. A pile where we'll bring bells and all will be gay. I'm gonna be at the Christmas tree with my Sharamia. So ring the chimes, it's Christmas time and pick the old bell. You played. You have a, you have one Christmas song. I want to say is it Papa Noel? Yes, that's one of our powers. Which is normally Brenda Lee would be right. rocking around the Christmas tree, but for us, it's a song about Christmas on the Bayou. And this thing that strikes me as fascinating that you that this is a song. Like I say, as somebody who has loved Christmas music for years. That was one I don't, I hadn't heard until I heard you play it. Yeah, I remember hearing it. I don't remember where I remember hearing it, but it was not easy to find. Um, and uh, it just certainly relates perfectly to what we try to do instead of just being a very generic Christmas music station. Because, you know, in this day and age, it, it, with, with all the technology we have, you can get Christmas music every, anywhere you want any time of year. There are plenty of Christmas forms formatted playlists everywhere. Um, so what you try to do is, say, okay, well, let's do something that no one else knows how to do. And specifically what we do in New Orleans is I try to remember since I grew up here, what I do remember to your point you made earlier is when we were younger, what we were listening to, what were the radio stations here playing that I can play now? 
which means more to people that if someone's listening in California, maybe they wouldn't be able to relate to that as much. And then, you know, we're lucky to live here in New Orleans where it's not just the Brenda Lee song. She's not even from here, but the Papa Noel song does reflect obviously our culture and our home. But we talk about more than just that song. It's all about uh, Mark Broussard and Harry Connick Jr. and Aaron Neville and all those great New Orleans artists, Irma Thomas, that add such a great flavor, New Orleans flavor to our Christmas music every season. You just t- tapped on something there that I, I, sh- I want to go back and kind of underline. But one of the things I looked at, you know, every year, sort of mid-October, that Sirius launches its uh, Christmas programming. And they will actually usually launch like six to eight Christmas channels. And so, and I guess part of what I was wondering about is how you, like, I guess, are you conscious of that programming and thinking about how to program against Against a, a, an entity that can sort of reach so many different, uh, mu- you know, sort of musical flavors? We do in a way. It's not really competing because what we do we think is very special, but we make it available. That's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, we want to make sure our music is available to the hardcore Christmas people who as soon as Halloween is done, they're ready for their fix of Christmas music. So we stream it online. On, uh, on our website, so you can reach it anywhere, um, you know, through the radio.com app. You can always listen to Magic anytime, anywhere. So we make our Christmas music available immediately. Uh, I don't know what that day is, November after Halloween, and put it up on the stream and then count down to when we do it around Thanksgiving Day on the frequency. Okay. Now, about how many songs do you have in your, uh, in your Christmas playlist when you go to all Christmas? It varies. It can get up to sometimes, you know, almost 300 songs. Do you know, is that bigger or smaller than uh, other stations that do it around the country? I think it's probably a little larger because they focus more on the hits. And, you know, you do have, it's not like you're playing those 300 songs, um, you know, back to back. You have like a certain group of those 300, maybe 10 or 20 that you call like these are my power Christmas songs. For us, it's like twenty, but for those stations, they're probably more like eight or five, and those are the ones that just they play every few hours constantly. And then you have kind of a second group of those Christmas songs that are kind of like your medium Christmas songs. People like them, maybe not love them, but they like them. So you play those, and then that tertiary, you have people that maybe have remade a lot of the classics and those are the ones that kind of break up to fill the variety of, you know, not playing certain songs over and over again, except the classics like Nat King Cole and white Christmas and stuff like that. We're all going to play that. Sure. What are the, uh, are your powers, uh, are you, are your power, uh, songs? I mean, we mix our powers with a lot of local stuff. So, you know, you've got like, uh, the Eagles, please come home for Christmas, Bing Crosby, white Christmas, um, some Perry Como's in there. Andy Williams, the classic from Nat King Cole, is definitely going to be a power. Um, Rudolph from Gene Autry, and probably Here Comes Santa Claus, maybe. And Brenda Lee's rocking around the Christmas tree with Papa Noel. And we also throw in some local artists like Harry Connick Jr. is always going to be a power for us. And so is uh, Aaron Neville and Vince Vance, of course, the big Christmas song <laughs> um, that, yeah, we don't need to mention, but that's, you know, one of the biggies. And Kermit Ruffins is big for us. All I want for Christmas is the Saints in the Super Bowl. Right. I saw Santa Claus 
swinging, swinging in the trimmy jacket. I got a big wish for Santa, and it's not a new Cadillac. It's better than grandma's cooking. One guest on my list I plan to ask back for a return engagement is New Orleans singer Debbie Davis. She and her husband, sousaphone player Matt Perrine, started recording Christmas songs as gifts for family and friends when they were too financially tight for more tangible presents. That turned into their first Christmas album, Oh Crap, It's Christmas, a title that reflects the way Christmas comes like a buzzsaw, more so than a statement of hostility toward it. We need to talk some more because their volume two came out in 2020 and they made it with the idea of putting some checks in the pockets of musicians who couldn't play during the pandemic. Debbie is one of the most knowledgeable people I've talked to about Christmas music history, and she thinks carefully about her relationships to songs, their words, and their contexts before approaching them, which makes her a great person to talk about performing these songs. Bundled up from head to toe, I smile, and it begins to snow. And everywhere I feel good cheer Where that old familiar sound I hear Sidewalk Santa rings his bell Pushcart vendors send the smell Roasted chestnuts floating through the air It's Christmas in Herald Square Selling pine trees How many years you are about to do, you and Matt Perrine are about to do your annual uh, Christmas uh, Christmas show Our here in New Orleans? Christmas extravaganza, and actually this year it is without Matt. It was bound to happen. Ah. The room availability and days on the calendar versus tour schedules, it it was bound to happen this way, but the uh, Matt's out-of-town dates have uh, precluded him from being on the show this year, so he's writing some of the uh, music for us, and uh, Josh Paxton is going to be nodding and flailing his arms madly and reading my mind and, uh, you know, all that musical director stuff that nobody gets thanked for. And um, got a great band, as usual, and great guests, as usual, and um, hopefully an enthusiastic and attentive audience, as usual. And usually some sort of weather event happens that night, but uh, we uh, persevere uh, anyway. So this is, what year will this be for Oh Crap, It's Christmas? This will be our fifth almost annual Oh Crap, It's Christmas. Cool. What I'm curious about here, earlier this season uh, on the podcast, I talked to a a group from Nashville, uh, The Ornaments, who have been doing, for the last 14 years, uh, they spend part of the Christmas season playing the Charlie Brown Christmas album uh, from end to end. Ooh, exciting. And one of the things that we talked about was the idea of how a show becomes a tradition. And and I know, for instance, last season I talked to Robert Earl Keane, who also does a Christmas show and there are people who are so attached to, you know, to uh, Merry Christmas from the family that mm-hmm. that's the, the Robert Earl Keene show they see every year. Right. And, and I wonder what it's like, you know, when you play a show that is first off seasonal and has, and 
it starts to become part of how people experience Christmas. It's quite delightful, actually, if not a little bit disconcerting. Um, People come up to you after the show and say lovely inspired things because they're caught up in a moment. They're still kind of riding that adrenaline and that good feeling that you hope everybody is feeling. But then when they come up to you in like May and ask you if you're doing the Christmas show and you're out, you know, doing you're, you know, you're picking up your dry cleaning or, you know, getting groceries and your mind is not at all in that space, but they see you and suddenly it's Christmas, damn it. And they need to talk to you about what you're doing in December and you've got no idea. Um, it, it catches you off guard that they attach you to their Christmas tradition so much that it doesn't matter when they see you, they see you and suddenly that's what they think of. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, f- I find it I find it really lovely and personal and I feel honored to be attached to something that that people hold so close to what's important to their families it's it's a real intimate thing you know it's as intimate as a birth or a death the way you celebrate these moments with your family and the people that are important to you it's it's something singular every family does it, but every family does it slightly differently. And the fact that anybody would choose to do it with us, I find bizarre and wonderful. And um, I, I take it very personally in the best way. Oh, that's great. One thing I, I know, I've talked to them about, you know, about this from their side, about the sort of the question, what we just talked about, about how it feels as somebody to have people attach, you know, their Christmas traditions to you and your show. But I also wonder... How does it, from the performer side, feel knowing that you have this thing coming up? And the thing now, and the thing that people starting in the summer, they already are looking forward to or expect you to do, you know, how, you know, how do you, you know, as the perform on the performing side, deal with this thing coming or maybe coming? It's, uh, I, I, I really love Christmas. I really... I personally attach a lot of um, a lot of my own expectations to it. I think that the idea of Christmas allows for so much positive possibility among just among people in their everyday lives that it gives us the possibility of being the best version of ourselves for each other just for the sake of being a better version of ourselves without any real strings attached and that you can feel really conspicuous trying to do that unless you know everybody else is trying to, then it doesn't feel like there's such a microscope on you. So everybody's trying a little harder and being a little kinder and being a little more open. And when you expose that underbelly, you don't feel quite as vulnerable if everybody else is doing it too. So for me, Christmas has a lot of those expectations. But to put on top of that the idea that you're adding a level of elevation and some sort of gravitas by taking your Christmas expectations and putting them out on display for people and then involving other people and telling them what to do with their Christmas expectations and then putting lights on them and then charging admission for people to look at them. It's... Uh, it's a great deal of expectation, and um, 
because Christmas is so important to me and because it's one of the few things in my life and in the world that I'm not cynical about, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I really have to treat it with kid gloves um, lest it become one of those things that I have to become cynical about in order to deal with it. I don't want it to be that way. Right. So, um, I have to treat it carefully and remember that the point is to be the better version of myself. So as not to be quick to be frustrated or quick to be, um, I don't know. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this is the strange life we've chosen for ourselves where we put ourselves in front of a room full of strangers and insist that everyone look at us. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, so you don't want to make a mistake and ruin everybody's Christmas tradition. It's a lot of pressure. Right. Um, so I have to remind myself that being the best version of myself is the point. And, um, and I think that if I keep that at the center of what we're doing that it'll always be okay. Yeah. I have to trust that that will always be what keeps the ship upright. Of that finish this episode, let's wrap up with singer Josh Rouse, who released The Holiday Sounds of Josh Rouse in 2019. It's hard for me to remember a time when Rouse's folk rock wasn't a part of the musical conversation. The Wikipedia says he started in 1998, so we'll go with that. He now lives in Spain, or, or he did when we talked, so I wanted to pursue that a bit. In the U.S. and Canada, Christmas music is so ubiquitous during the holidays that it's hard to imagine it being any other way anywhere else. But in 2016, I interviewed Spandau Ballet singer Tony Hadley about his Christmas album titled The Christmas Album. And one thing he talked about at length was the difference between the presence of Christmas music in America and England at Christmas time. I'll put a link to that story in the show notes too. But that conversation made me curious about Christmas music traditions in other countries. How is our musical Christmas tradition like or not like theirs? I also wonder now how much the omnipresence of streaming is changing those regional differences. But that's where Rouse and I started when we talked. Merry Christmas, everybody. Feliz Navidad. Sun is shining. We're wearing flip-flops. When you, when you went back through those songs, I mean, since they covered a fair amount, a fair length of time, yeah, could you kind of track your life 
through those songs in a way that we as listeners wouldn't. But I'd imagine that there's points where you recognize either points of view or details or something in it that probably reflects where you were then. Sure. Yeah, sure. I, I can remember when, you know, uh, I came up with the idea or where I was living or where I was when it happened. You know, I was in, I mean, I was in Spain for almost all of it. Oh, really? So, yeah. How I moved did... to Spain and yeah, basically the whole process started in Spain. You know, I had uh, my kids there and uh, lived there until two years ago. The, the past couple songs, no, they've been done here. I, I think I did one in Nebraska as well when we were visiting some family at Thanksgiving. But a majority was written in or the ideas were conceived in Spain. Now I'm curious, how was... Christmas in Spain different from Christmas here? Um, well, it's not quite, uh, you know, they like it, but it's not the same thing as it is here. It's not, <laughs> the consumerism probably isn't at quite the same level as it is here. Although the past few years they've had Black Friday there. But um, actually they celebrate more. It's different because they enjoy Christmas, but really like the big gift giving time is, uh, January 9th. I believe it is. That's the one, the King's day. Right. Um, but more, you know, it's, it's the same in that family get together for Christmas Eve and Christmas day and sit around and eat food and watch TV and chat or whatever. And, and it's the same in that way. Um, I grew up with very kind of cold Christmases and snow, but I hadn't seen snow in a very long, long time in, in Spain. Actually, never. <laughs> is Christmas music as omnipresent? Yeah. yeah oh, really? It is. Yeah, it is. At least in, in, in our house it was, you know. And I, you do hear it when you go, when you go around. I mean, uh, and for the past, I guess it was about 2015, I started actually doing kind of a holiday concert. At just a small club in Valencia, Spain, doing some traditional songs and one of the originals that I was working on, and then just various covers. But uh, it was called Josh Rouse and the Christmas Vacations. Oh, great! Did were there songs that are are big Christmas songs in Spain that I, that we don't know about? Or, yeah, or there's some or Spanish song- ones. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Could you yeah. tell me about some of them? Uh, not really. (laughs) (laughs) I learned a a few of them. Um, they're just traditional Christmas songs. Um, usually they sound like they've got about four singers singing on them and they sound like girls, you know, uh, I don't want to say flamenco, but, uh, you know, and of course the Feliz Navidad, the Jose Feliciano song is, uh, big, probably one of the biggest ones. It's great. Um, and, um, there's some traditional ones even around Valencia, where I was where I was living from that that province that uh, that are really cool too, um, and mostly you know, a lot of them are just saying Merry Christmas or they have something to do with with Catholicism, right? <laughs> <laughs> but in a fun, in a non guilty, uh, festive way. Right. <laughs> Are there are there uh, sort of American Christmas songs that are that are particularly loved that are you know are bigger there than you might expect? Um, 
Yeah, I did Blue Christmas by by Elvis one uh, one year, and it went over really well. Everyone seemed to know it. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue just thinking. I think that's a good place to stop for this week. If you like what you hear, tell your friends. I'm proud of these interviews and would like to have more people hear them. I also hope you'll go back and check out some of these episodes because there's more in them of value than just the excerpts I pulled. If you have favorite episodes of 12 Songs, if you have favorite episodes of 12 Songs, write me at alex at myspiltmilk and let me know what they are. That will help me choose episodes to pull from in the next few weeks. And I'm going to post a list of top episodes at myspiltmilk.com and would appreciate your input to help me choose them. If you haven't done so already, please like, follow, subscribe, or do what you have to do to get 12 songs in your podcast feed every week. We're pretty much anywhere you get your podcast content, so 12 songs is easily found. But your subscriptions and five-star reviews on Apple, if that's where you get yours, they'll help the algorithms work for us and make it easier for others to find out about the show. We finished this episode with Josh Rouse, who released another Christmas track, Angels We Have Heard on High, in 2020 after our interview had been completed and aired. It's a smart, entertaining arrangement, so let's go out with it. Talk to you next week. Angels we have heard on high, sweet.